Welcome to the Body-Mind Axis, where we explore how the mind and body work together to express innate health and well-being. I realise we've not got much time left. Do you feel, Chip, that you have enough time to talk about your dad or is it going to be rushing things too much? No, I mean, we've got about 10 minutes. I think so. I can give the slightly abridged version. Okay. <laughs> well, I love this story. It's what I tell quite a few of my, my own clients and patients because I find it really inspiring. So if you could sure. talk to our listeners. Well, first of all, let me just say this. Through all the years that I've been around this, I've seen and witnessed some amazing changes in people, right? But before this story, mm -hmm. the one person on this planet I couldn't imagine changing was my father. That was so far beyond, no matter what great things I saw in myself and Sid and all the people, I, I just couldn't fathom that. Um, just as briefly as I can, um, I was the oldest of 11 kids of six brothers and four sisters. And my dad was pretty severe alcoholic and at times could be violent. Right? He had a rage within him that was unbelievable. Right? And as the oldest son, um, just to say a little bit, when I got to be 13 or 14, I, I really, I felt responsible for protecting my mother and my brothers and sisters. So I would get into it with my father. In fact, that's how I left home at 17. It was after a big physical encounter with my father. And uh, went on, left home, met Jan, went through all of our stuff with our marriage, met Sid, started to feel better about life. And uh, in the very beginning, when I would listen to Sid, there was one thing that really bothered me when he talked is he often talked about forgiveness, the power and the value of forgiveness. And so um, I would just, I would just, I remember just, I, I can remember my thoughts clearly. You don't know what I've seen, so you can't. There are some things that are unforgivable. Mm. And I truly felt that even after my life changed. And so one night I, I heard Sid talk and he started going on about forgiveness again. And I walked out. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. You know, I got I got upset and he called me the next day. He said, what's with you? What's that? What's up? And I said, you know, Sid, it's when you talk about forgiveness. And he asked me, well, why, you know? And I said, basically the thing was, you don't know what I've seen. He said, well, come over, you know? So I went over to his house and sat down and we had a cup of tea and he said, okay. This was one of maybe two or three times in 40 some years that he would actually address the specifics of anything in my life. Oh, wow. You know, he said, so tell me about it. So I told him like the worst two or three stories I could remember, you know, and it, I could see it really affected him. You know, he was, he was touched. He was emotional. Right. So it got quiet after I told him the stories and he goes, he goes, you know, Chip, your father must've really been suffering to have done those things. And I just freaked out. I just said, I gotta go. I just couldn't, I couldn't handle that. Right. So I forget it was that night or a couple nights later, I was laying in bed and I was thinking about some cruel things, mean things I'd said to Jan before I changed when we were arguing and fighting all the time. And uh, I just, you know, that feeling is cringe, like, oh God, I wish I could go back in time and take that back, right? And then I had this insight. 
that belonged to this world over here. You don't live in that world anymore. You live in a completely different world where that's totally irrelevant. Mm. And I just felt this feeling of peace wash over me. And I, I fell asleep and I slept for like 10, 11 hours, which was really not like me. And when I, when I woke up, I felt lighter. I felt completely different, but I couldn't get my finger on it. A couple of weeks later, same thing. I'm laying in bed, Jan's asleep. And for whatever reason, I started thinking about my dad. And I went right back to our last encounter. And I got physically sick thinking about it. I was so angry and full of hate. And it, it really shocked me to feel those feelings again. And then I had an insight and the insight was really simple. My father was living in a world that was handed to him. He didn't know there was anything outside of that world. And I just happened to be born in his house. It's got nothing to do with me. And I just felt this relief. I mean, that's the only word I can really use. It's just profound relief. And I remember I started to tear up at just the relief. And then the next thing I, that happened just really shocked me. I just felt this just felt this love and compassion for my dad and I hadn't felt that I had never felt anything but hate for him for many many decades literally decades and again I, I just felt completely peaceful and I, again I slept for 10 or 11 hours and when I woke I felt completely different but this time I had an understanding I had an insight mm -hmm. there was can you imagine how much thought and ways of interacting the world revolved around that relationship for me yeah. volumes and volumes and volumes and the reason i felt light is it had all fallen away you know it no longer mattered and it's never mattered since so i decided that i would contact my father i hadn't spoken to him probably in like 12 years or something I'd never let him meet our kids he'd never met our kids and so jan and i started calling him and he was he was very confused as to why we would call. You know, he didn't know how to talk to us. Sometimes he'd, he'd still be intoxicated, right? Mm -hmm. Other times he wasn't, but we just kept calling him, mm -hmm. like at least once a week. And over time, it got better. He, he wouldn't talk about anything serious, but he would, you know, talk about painting the house or going to the hockey game or whatever. But there was a connection, right? Yeah. And so I was giving a talk in St. Petersburg, Florida, to a large room full, mostly therapists and psychologists, psychiatrists, and I was doing a keynote, and I went really well, and I was walking down from the podium, and I looked across the room at Jan, and as soon as I looked at her, I knew something was wrong. Right? Mm -hmm. So I made my way through the crowd, I said, what's going on? She said, your father apparently is dying, and he wants to see you. And I said, oh, and you know how, the kind of reaction you would have, oh, you know. Okay. And, um, Jan was on the ball because he'd already bought me tickets to fly up to Canada from Florida to see my dad. So I don't think it was three or four hours later, I was on a plane flying north and arrived and went to the hospital. And uh, the scene was totally chaotic. There was maybe six or seven of my siblings there in this waiting room, all arguing, all fighting, all upset. You know, there was about a 25 year old social worker trying to settle it. <laughs> and I remember thinking, buddy, that ain't going to work, you know. And I just, I, I won't say what I said, but I just yelled. I said, I, I don't want to hear this. Let's just be quiet, you know. And if the old man regains consciousness, I want to see him. And he's asked to see me, and I'm going to do it alone. And somebody started arguing with me. And I said, oh, you know, no. 
And I wasn't being nice, believe me. I was just mm -hmm. in a really, by then I was in a really low mood. I'd been rehearsing all the way up on the plane. I've been rehearsing in my head what I was going to say to my dad and what he should say to me. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Mm -hmm. So finally the doctor came and said, uh, somebody can see Mr. Chipman if you want now. He's partially conscious, you know. So I, I walked down the the hallway in the hospital with the doctor. And, and I, at this point, I still don't even know what he's dying from because my family, this was really bad at staying in touch. So I asked the doctor and he goes, well, he has asbestosis, uh, mesothelioma mm, yep. asbestos in his lungs. He, um, his stomach is shriveled up because he hasn't eaten in days. He has alcohol poisoning. And he's going, the list is like, <laughs> I'm like, holy mackerel. And then he says, and you know, he had that um, triple bypass. And I go, what? Nobody told me about it. Mm -hmm. Doctor said, yeah, he had a triple bypass about three weeks ago. And instead of going home and doing the therapy, he went home and sat on the couch drinking whiskey. And I said, oh my God. I said, so which one of them's killing him? He said, well, actually none of them in particular. It's actually pneumonia now. He's so low. Yeah. Right. Oh, him. Okay. So then we arrive at the ICU. And the doctor pushes the door open for me and I walk in, the door closes behind me and I realize the doctor hasn't come in. And I'm looking at this soul, mm -hmm. this bed. Now I haven't, at this point, I haven't seen my father in many years. And he was a strong strapping construction worker kind of guy, oil refinery worker. Right. What I'm seeing is this skeleton on the bed with hardly any just skin and bones. And all this rehearsing was going on in my head. But the second I looked at his face, it was gone. Mm -hmm. There was this amazing quiet in the room. Now, this is just my experience. But the way I felt like, you know, poof, it felt like the light in the room changed. Mm -hmm. And my head was totally clear. And I looked down at his face and I could see that he recognized me. And what came off, out of my mouth shocked me. I mean, honestly, I, I was so surprised. I looked down at this man and it was interesting because when that happened, when that, the thought cleared, it really became irrelevant that this was my father. There was just this soul on his way out. You know? So I looked down at him and what came out of my mouth just really did shock me. I said, do you want to get out of here? I remember thinking, what the hell are you saying? <laughs> to this dying man, do you want to get out of here? And he looked puzzled, but then he nodded. You know, I said, "Well, you know all that guilt and shame that you feel right now for the way you lived your life and the way you treated mom and the family." And tears started to roll down the side of his face, so I knew that was true. I said, "You have to realize that you were living in a world that was handed to you." And you didn't know there was any world beyond that. You were lost, you know. And if you'd have known better, you would have done better. And he wept some more. And then this memory came to me, and I just said, when I was a kid, you used to talk about leaving Newfoundland, where we lived, as where I was born, to find a new life in Western Canada. I said, you remember that? I said, whenever you told stories about that, you would just light up. You love telling us stories about moving to the West and, and finding a new life and everything. Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember the feeling? And he nodded. You know, I said, well, here's the thing. 
if you want to get out of here, you have let you have to let go of all the guilt and the shame. And you have to grab on to the feeling that you had on that train to go west. And if you do, we'll see what happens. And he passed out. He lost consciousness. And I went, oh my God, what did I just say to a dying man? You know, like, and I went down the hallway. This shows how long ago it was to a payphone and phone Jan in Florida yeah. and told her what I'd said. And I was like, I was worried about what I'd said. You know, my thinking had come in trying to analyze what had happened. Mm -hmm. And Jan said, that's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. Yeah. And I settled down and Jan said, you know, you know that insurance video we took for the house? There's some shots of the kids in it. She said, I'm going to FedEx it up to you, which she did. And it came in a couple of days later because my dad had never seen his, my kids. He'd seen his other grandchildren from my brothers and sisters, but he'd never really seen my kids except for when they were first born babies. Right? So he regained consciousness a little bit the next day and we went in to see him and I said, do you want to meet your grandkids? And he kind of lit up. I said, they're not here, but I've got this video, right? And we'd gotten permission from the doctor to put the, TV at the end of the bed. Yeah. And so we put on this video and it's like, it's an insurance video. So here's the VCR, here's the television in the bedroom, here's the television in the living room, here's the tape deck, here's the refrigerator. <laughs> and then out in the garage, my son was 16 at the time. And we'd found, this probably won't resonate so much in Europe, but we'd found this American muscle car, this American hot rod. Yeah him to fix up right all right and he and i had been restoring it and we had yeah. just gotten the engine to run it had no mufflers on it no uh i think i forget what you call them in europe but anyway it was super noisy anyway i shine the camera on my son who's leaning over the engine in the garage mm -hmm. got no shirt on he's super handsome 16. <laughs> he's got his hand over the engine operating the carburetor making it roar like crazy <laughs> back with his big grin on his face right <laughs> and uh my dad looked at that and he, i saw the first time i'd seen him smile he just smiled you know and then inside it was you know here's this here's that and then there was this amazing shot of my daughter in the backyard who would have been like 11 at the time maybe maybe 12 and she's thrown the frisbee for the, she has a sundress on this is in florida She's throwing a frisbee for the dog and the sun is shining in her hair. It's just a beautiful, beautiful shot. And my father just started to, to weep and actually choke. Oh. And, uh, you know, it was just, he was so emotional. And the doctor said, no, no, that's too much. Everybody out. Because there were a couple of my brothers and sisters and myself. And it's the first word I heard out of my father through this whole thing. He goes, no, clear as could be. And the doctor's like, what? <laughs> he wanted to watch the rest of the video. He wanted to see it again. And so he did. And what happened was um, he hung in there and I really, I had to fly home. I couldn't stay there. Mm -hmm. Kept hanging in there, but he survived. Yeah. And he lived another seven years and he became a totally, absolutely, totally different person. He never took another drink. Yeah. He actually kept beer in his refrigerator for his buddies that came over. <laughs> he never drank. Wow. He never went to AA or anything. He just quit after a lifetime. God, God knows, 40 years at least of being an alcoholic. He started calling my kids every week. How's school? I mean, he never talked to me about school the whole time I grew up. 
he just became this really gentle, loving person, you know? And we never talked about it. He would talk to Jan about what happened in the hospital. All right. Although he was grateful and kind of what happened the way he saw it, but he couldn't use too much of it to talk to me about it. But that was, <laughs> he knew I'd hear about it from Jan, right? Yeah. We just became really good friends. And uh, the following summer, Jan and I bought a new car and uh, in Florida and we loaded up and drove up to Canada and my kids got to meet their grandfather. And we were out at a cottage on the lake that my brother had. And, you know, he was a, he was a real leader. He was a union leader and he had all these great stories of strikes and <laughs> union busting and all this. And my kids just, they just loved it. They absolutely just sat at his feet listening to these stories, right? And uh, seven years later, he called me and he said, uh, I'm having another surgery tomorrow. I said, I'll fly up. I'll come up and see you. He said, no, don't. He said, I'm not going to come out of it. And I what? I said, sure you will, Dad. Sure. He, says, he said, no. He said, I'm tired. I'm ready. And I'm happy. Mm-hmm. And he went into surgery and he died. And actually, that's a lovely story about coming to death with that sort of composure about it and not being frightened of it. He was. He he was so grateful for those last seven years of yeah. his life. Because I think his life had been a terror long before I was born even. Like I, mm-hmm. I actually at his funeral I did the um the eulogy and one of my aunts came up and told me what he'd been through as a kid. I'd never oh, right. you know. And he'd been through hell as a child, you know. So when that happened even to this day, it's so hard for me to imagine that that actually happened, that my father heard something at a deeper level. And he, what he heard, really, was that he was psychologically innocent and there was something in him that wasn't broken. Yes. And yeah, that is such a beautiful story, Trip. I'd just love to hear you tell it again. That was fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you. You do a terrific interview. This has really been nice. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I'm going to have to wind it up now because I've got a call and then, well, two minutes ago. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's been great. It's been such a good time. Um, well, if there's anything else, I, I was going to ask you about contact details, but I can put them in, into print. That's not a problem. If people want to contact you, just to make sure. an email address, is that okay? That email address is fine. Great. Okay. Advantageconsult.com, you can put that up. Brilliant. Okay. That's fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much. This has been really amazing. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, Sarah. Really enjoyed it. So thank you. Yeah, me too. I'll have a great evening. All right, love. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. Bye.